Okay, good morning. Welcome to the eight. I hope everybody had a great week this week. If you didn't have a good week, you're in the right place. <laughs> We're here to refresh and restart and hopefully we can uh, have some rest and get back to a good week this week. Okay, so the title of our series this month, The Church Has a Woman Problem, question mark. Last week, we concluded that the church does not have a woman problem. The church has a humanity problem. That's something completely different. We also defined that both men and women, we are all equal in both dignity and honor. However, we are diverse and we cannot be equal in our function and roles. So there is the function of the man and the function of the woman but we are all equal in the sight of God. Our role and our function does not determine our value in front of God or our value as equals. I also made this, the, the statement that the woman is the nucleus of the family or in a larger scale, the nucleus of society. Let's discuss what the job of the nucleus is in the cell. So. The, the nucleus has two jobs, the, to coordinate the activity of the cell and also the growth of the cell. So if the nucleus is not there or if the nucleus is not functioning properly, the growth of that cell will be stunted and there will be no growth. And in some cases, there will be death because there's no growth. So just in the same way that the nucleus is in charge of the activity and growth of a cell, the woman is in charge of the growth of society, both spiritually and physically. So I want us to remember that from last week as the role of the woman. This week, I wanna talk about St. Paul. And so you're probably wondering why in the world are we talking about a man in the middle of a woman series? St. Paul is one of the most influential writers in the Bible. He wrote 14 out of the 27 New Testament books. So there, there's a big, huge chunk of the Bible um, written by St. Paul, and his writings are so significant that a lot of the church fathers will even call them the second gospel. That's how influential and that's how significant his writings were. So... There are a few things that St. Paul said, especially directed towards women, that people will take. They'll take the, this little tiny snippet of a verse and they'll take it out of context and they'll use it to reject the Bible and to reject the Christian faith because they'll say, you know, you guys don't like women or look at what your writers are saying. And so I'm here today to put those verses back into context and to look at the writings of St. Paul, especially towards women, in a more positive light. Um, others are very proud of St. Paul's writings, but they also, too, can use it as a justification for the belittling of women. That also is incorrect. So I'm here to kind of like debunk what people are saying about certain verses and see how we can put them back into context and see them in a, uh, in a better, from, a, from a better viewpoint. So before we dive into the verses, I wanna talk a little bit about who St. Paul is. So this is an Orthodox icon. 
of St. Paul, and usually you'll see him holding scrolls or he'll be next to a basket full of scrolls. Um, because he was such a significant writer in the, in the Bible, you'll see him always depicted with his scrolls and the icons. So St. Paul was not always St. Paul. His, act his, his name was actually Saul, and that was his Jewish name. And he was from Tarsus, which is um, found in the south central part of Turkey. You can learn about the details of his life in the book of Acts, um, but some main points that I want to focus on for St. Paul. He was a really, really, really good Jew. He was, some people would even call him fanatic. And it, it's interesting how God used this same characteristic that he had to flip it for his good. So for the first half of St. Paul's life as Saul, he persecuted the Christians because as a Jewish, a, 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 as a Jewish Pharisee, he dedicated his life to getting rid of anybody who believed, of, who believed in Christ and said that they were a Christian. So fast forward um, a few years, on the way to on the on the way to his um, he was on the on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, he saw a vision and in this vision the Lord appeared to him in a very bright light, and long story short it stunned him and it woke him up it gave him he 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 saw the Lord manifest in front of him, and so he had no excuse but to believe. And that was the turning point for him to take his fanatic Jewish beliefs and turn them into beliefs for Christ, and he converted and became a Christian. So just like he was so fanatic about keeping the law and going to the temple and praying in the, in the temple, in the synagogue, he now had that same zeal but for Christ. So some things that I personally love about St. Paul, number one, he never let anything stop him from doing the work of God. No illness that he had, no um, persecution that he faced, the amount of times that he went, that he was in jail and imprisoned, he continued to write his letters even in jail. Nothing stopped him. And even when he couldn't physically be in front of the people to preach, he would send other people to go and preach. So he never, ever, ever let anything stop him from doing the work of God. Another thing that is very admirable about his character is that he never took credit for anything that came out of his mouth. He always ended his messages with the fact that he gives glory to God and that he recognizes that be out of the grace of God, he was able to deliver these messages and able to bring the, the gospel to people. So he never took credit for anything that he wrote to, to the people that he spoke to, and he never took credit for what he was able to accomplish because he realized that it was by the grace of God. So these are the four major verses that I want to discuss today. I'm going to focus heavily on the first two. So first, we're going to talk about women covering their heads, and the head of the woman is man. 
Second, wives, submit to your husbands. Everybody loves to make jokes about this verse. We're going to talk about it. Um, and then women are to be silent and women are not to teach. Okay? So just an overview so that I don't lose anybody because we're about to get into it. Um, okay, so before we get in, I, I just want, I want you to know that these verses are heavy and they are very complex. And if you were to just read them without any context or any explanation, they would take you back and you would be like, whoa, like, why is he saying this? The same thing for if you were to tell somebody about these verses without explaining or without giving context, you, you might lose them because they're, 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 they're very, they need a lot of explanation and they need history. You need to know what was the history, who were the audience, what did the author want to portray in these words. So I'm going to try my best to give you the rundown and then hopefully I don't lose anybody. But um, the first verse is 1 Corinthians 11. This is what he says. Th we're talking about the covering of women's head. And this is something that we still observe in our church today. So it's funny because when I was growing up and whenever I would bring um, friends to church and they saw women covering their head, they would ask, are you guys Muslim? Like that's the first thing that people think. So it's this is an external thing that we do, just like a lot of things in the church. There are external there are external actions that we do that have a deeper internal meaning. So I want us to understand what that internal meaning is. So 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with, with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Okay, already in these two verses, this is a lot. So let's talk about it. In verse 3, we talked about this verse last week because I wanted us to understand that everybody has their own role. Even in the Trinity, there, is, there are roles. So here at the, at, the, at the end of verse 3, it says, the head of Christ is God. Does this mean that in the Trinity, one in essence, one person of the Trinity has authority more than the other? No, of course not. So we need to understand the original Greek word for the word head here does not mean superiority, does not mean head over, okay? The original Greek word for head here means source. So one thing coming from another. So when it says here, the head of Christ is God, Christ is begotten from the Father. Christ is born of God. So the same way, the head of the woman is man. That doesn't mean that the man is above the woman. It means that woman came from man. And we know this to be true from creation, that the woman came from man. So right off the bat, people think, the head of the woman is man, that means that the man is over the woman. Right off the bat, that is not what this verse is saying. 
So then St. Paul, so after we have that clear, that there is no one above the other, after we got that squared away, let's talk about the rest of the verses. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Why? Let's see. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. Let her shave her head. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her cover. Here's the answer. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for woman, but woman for man. So, because we say the head of man is Christ, his head represents Christ. So, because his head represents Christ, there is no need to cover his head. Why would he want to cover the glory of Christ? For women, our head is man. Man here does not mean the male but humanity. So our head represents the glory of humanity. When I come to pray, when I come to seek the glory of God, I need to be ready to cover the glory of humanity. I need to be ready to cover my own glory in order for me to allow the glory of God to shine. I don't want us to look at this as a punishment for woman, that she is she has the glory of man on her head. This is actually a responsibility. And we talked about this being our role as us being, as women, we are not only contributing to society, but we are concerned for society and for humanity. So I don't want us to look at this as a punishment. I want us to look at this as a responsibility that we have. And when we come to pray before God, we should have it within ourselves that we feel we should cover the glory of humanity in order for the glory of God to shine through. Now, after I explain this, you could, pro you could still be telling yourself, okay, well, I don't agree, or this is not something that I want to do. This has to be something that is within you that you feel that you want to do, that you want to cover the, your glory, you want to cover, cover the glory of humanity in order for the glory of God to shine. This is something that has to come from your heart. So if you're not there yet, it's totally fine. But we have to understand what our roles are and what our responsibilities are. Continuing in verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes from woman, but all things are from God. So it's interesting because St. Paul was a very smart writer, and he knew that later on down the line, people might say, oh, that just has to do with the people of Corinth. That doesn't have to do with us. So he added this verse, verse 10, for the reason the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. So now we have to think, are there only angels present in Corinth? Of course not. 
We have angels all around us. And even the angels, when they're praising God, they cover their faces and they cover their heads with their, with their wings. So are we saying that we are better than the angels? So St. Paul wanted to, to be sure that people understood that this was for anyone who was coming before God to worship. Any woman who was coming before God to worship, that this was a universal expectation or a universal responsibility. Nevertheless, neither man is independent of woman nor woman independent of man. We talked about this last week, that one gender cannot exist with the other. In the beginning, woman came from man. Eve came from Adam. And today, men are dependent on women to continue to have men. So the genders do not exist without the other. Then St. Paul wants to give them wants to put the ball in their court. And he's like, okay, you hear what I had to say. Judge among yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? He's saying, you heard what I have to say. Now you decide for yourself. Do you think it's proper? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair is given to her for a covering. So this is the reason why men should not grow out their hair because if, if the hair is a covering, then you are covering Christ by growing out your hair. So even in nature we see women have long hair as a covering and men don't have long hair. So again, I don't want us to take everything so literal but i want us to understand what is the meaning and what is the spirit behind these verses is it something that i feel in my heart that i can get to um i want to mention this really fast because some people might say well then why do the priests and the bishops wear you know a turban on their head the turban that the priests and the bishops wear this is not a covering this is a crown that is given to them because of their priesthood so this is a crown of priesthood. This is not a covering. I just want to make sure um, that's clear. Okay, before I jump into the next verse, I want us, whether you're married or you're not married, whether you're in a marriage or you're not even thinking about marriage, I want us to get a picture in our head of what marriage looks like. Just take a second to get a picture in your head of what marriage looks like. Everybody have their picture? Okay. This is the picture that I want you to have of marriage. Before we discuss any verses, before we discuss any you should do this and you should do this, this is the picture that we need to have of marriage. A Christ-centered relationship. A loving and caring relationship. A relationship of endearment, of love. These are the pictures that I want us to have of marriage. If you have this picture of marriage, then everything else that you hear about marriage should go back to this. In Ephesians 5, chapter 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Some people will just stop and say, how come I have to submit? What about him? What about, what does he have to do? Can we keep reading? Like, let's keep reading the rest of the verses. 
For the husband is the head of the wife. Again, we discuss what the word head means. This doesn't mean authority. This means source of. As also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Before I continue, because there's more to that, I want us to understand the audience. Imagine if St. Paul, this is, he is talking to the first century church. The, the church that views women as just property and they should just tag along. And imagine if he just started out by saying, hey, husbands, you need to submit to your wives. He lost everybody. He lost the women and he lost the men. So St. Paul was very smart in knowing who his audience was. So he addresses the women first to kind of soften them and get them ready for what he has to say. Let's see what he says to the husband. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. If you ask me, Christ is asking way more from the husband than he's asking from the wife. He's just asking the wife to submit. But look what he's asking the husband to do. Just as Christ loved the church and gave herself for him. He's asking the husband to be willing to die for his wife, just like the church died, just like Christ died for the church. This is a much greater responsibility that the husband has. Why are we so focused on the word submission? By the way, why, are, why is the word submission so negative? Like, why do we have such a negative view on submission? As the church, we submit to Christ because of his love. And out of his love, we submit to him out of love. So in the same way, this should be a submission out of love. It shouldn't be a submission out of authority or a submission out of fear. It should be a submission willingly out of love. Just like, the, the church, just like Christ died for the church. We, we love him for that. And so because the husband has this expectation, we should show the same level of submission and the same level of love. Okay, so the last two verses kind of have the same um, answer to them, but I still want us to go over them. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 37, a lot of people take verse 34 and they just take it out and say, I can't believe he said this about women. So I'm just going to read you that verse without any context. So here's what the verse says. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. 
if I were to just give you that verse, you would be like, what in the world? Like, why is he saying this? Like, this is so harsh. We have to understand what the, what the rest of the story is. In verse 26, if we go back almost 10 verses, this is what St. Paul says. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, whenever you come together to worship, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The point, I'm not going to read you the rest of the verses, but I'll just give you the gist. The point of this part of the letter was because this was a first century church, they didn't know how to worship still. Whoever wanted to say something would come and say it. Whoever had something that they wanted to read would come and read it. And so he said, no, guys, we need to come, when we come to the church, we need to have order. There needs to be order and structure to the service of the church. So he was telling them, whoever has a psalm, come and say it. But whoever has a teaching, come and say it. Take your turn. And he literally told them if there is a prophet that has something to say, how the prophet should come and say it. If somebody has an interpretation, how he should come and interpret the word. He literally gives them instructions on how to keep the order in the church. So then because of this, he addresses the women. And he tells them, women, in the liturgical service, you are not to speak, which even today, men or women who are not consecrated to partake in the liturgical service, you don't have, that's not your role, that's not your function. So it's the same thing today. I can't just go up and read from the liturgy of the word. I'm not a deacon and I'm not a man. That's not my role. So he was talking to them in, in a, in a in the liturgical service sense. He wasn't telling them don't speak at all in the church, okay? And then the part that says if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. Again, there is a time and a place to speak and the church was not that time to speak. It's not, it wasn't time to chit chat and have a conversation and talk in the middle of the service. So again, we have to understand what the context is. Why was he saying this? I want to talk about St. Mary again. Even St. Mary subjected herself to submitting herself to um, the laws and participating in, she, she even participated in the day of purification, even though she didn't have to. The day of purification was a day that they would come into the temple and they would, they would it would be like a time for sanctification. So she didn't, she didn't need to partake in the service, but she did because she knew her role as a woman. And by the way, in honor, St. Mary is more honored than men and women. But, she, but in function, she knew what her function and her role was as a woman. And she kept that role. Okay, women should not preach. Um, 1 Timothy 2 so in verse 11, it says, let a woman learn in silence and all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be silent. Again, if we just read this verse, we're like, what is he talking about? Why is he being so harsh? So this is 1 Timothy chapter 2. First, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see 
that St. Paul urges Timothy to stay in Ephesus to address the false teachings that were happening. So, and I mean, I hope this is not inappropriate for me to say, but a lot of the women who were speaking just nonsense were um, widowed women who had all this time on their hand. They were idle and they had nothing else to do. And so they would walk around just teaching false teachings. And so St. Paul is like, hey, we need to put a ban on these women walking around teaching whatever they want to teach, whether it's right or wrong. So this was not a universal ban. This was a temporary ban in the moment of time and in the specific location that St. Paul was speaking to. So again, there's a lot of history behind this verse, and we have to understand what that history is. Okay, so those are the four main verses, and I want you guys to be able, when somebody comes and tells you your church doesn't like women because of these verses, or St. Paul in particular was anti-feminist or he was chauvinistic or whatever, now hopefully we have the context and we have the answers to answer. Let's put St. Paul in an even more positive light and see what he focused on in his writings concerning both men and women. These are the four main things that St. Paul preached about. The creation of men and women in God's image with the purpose of ruling together over God's creation. The joint destiny of men and women as heirs with Christ and the spirit given to believers regardless of gender and the gift of the spirit given to believers regardless of gender. So I want to discuss in ancient culture, only, only males or only sons had the, um, were considered heirs to a father's um, estate or to a father's possessions. So it was only the sons who were considered to carry on the, and be heirs of a father's estate. So St. Paul had to now change this mentality, but he also understood that this was his, their mentality at the time. Let's see what St. Paul tells them in Galatians chapter 3, starting from verse 26. For you are all sons of God. Sons here meaning humanity, humans. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When you are baptized and grafted into the body of Christ, it is as if you wear Christ. And now there are neither Jews nor Greeks. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction between gender, between social status, between religious uh, affiliation. You are all Christ once you are baptized and grafted into the body. Okay, the gifts of the Spirit given to believers regardless of gender. St. Paul saw women as loyal co-workers. 
And he actually depended on women to help him spread the gospel. He used words um, to describe women that helped him. He used words like deacon, benefactor, co-worker in Christ Jesus. Um, he would commend them on working hard. He would say, my dear friend, and even apostle. So I want to show you some of those um, some of those ways that he esteemed women publicly. In Romans 16, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. St. Paul literally wrote Phoebe the best letter of recommendation he could possibly write her. Like, he wrote her this letter to, a, to an empire, the Roman Empire, who would not even mention the names of women publicly. Like, that was something that you just did not do. So not only did he, did, not only did he give her credit for what she was coming to do and for what she did, but he named her by name publicly to the Roman Empire. So this was a very, very big deal. Another example of him naming people, in Romans 16, verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, Priscilla is the wife, and Aquila is the husband. And he greets the wife first. Again, very uncommon in the Roman Empire days. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. So he, he not only shows that they are working for him, but he gives them credit for establishing one of the churches in their own homes. So here it shows that these people were not only very capable of serving and helping to spread the gospel, but they went over and beyond to give of their own resources to help spread the gospel. I couldn't talk about women and St. Paul without mentioning Chloe. So Chloe, for those who don't know, is my daughter's name. And I always had that name picked out. Before I even knew I wanted to have kids, before I even knew it was going to be a girl, I always had the name Chloe. And then when I found out that it was in the Bible and that it was associated with St. Paul, I was like, check, 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 it's Chloe. Like, that's it. So there's, not, there's one verse about Chloe, and even the church fathers don't have a lot to say about her, but I feel like we should um, talk about her just because I'm biased. So in 1 Corinthians 1.11, it says, St. Paul is saying, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. So a lot of church fathers actually give credit to Chloe and her household for the book of Corinthians being written because it was her concern and her household's concern for the rift that was happening in the church that caused St. Paul to write to the Corinthians. So I thought that was very cool that 
not only was there a woman that was that concerned and that bold to come forward and say, hey, we're having an issue in the church, but St. Paul names her by name, which if we look back in history, shows that he had a personal relationship with her. He knew her personally. So just a little um, fun fact about my daughter's name for you guys. Um, okay, so again, I really want to reiterate that in, when it comes to anything in the church, we need, to be, we need to be bold and don't be afraid to ask questions. What's the context of that verse? What's the history? What, does, what is the author trying to portray through what he's writing? But also, who is the audience of that time? So I, I, I want us to remember St. Paul is not anti-women at all. And in fact, we see here that he names a lot of women by name because they were a great help to him. There are some verses that can be a little harsh for some people, but hopefully now we are a little bit more equipped to be able to answer people when they come and they ask us about these verses, especially when it pertains to women. Next week, we're going to talk about a woman who had the honor of being called an apostle to the apostles. She was actually called, by, called that by St. Paul as well. So I'm not going to give it away right now, but stay tuned next week. So we're going to talk about that woman and how we can learn from her and, and, and apply the zeal that she had in her service to Christ directly in our own services and our own families today. Let's stand up to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for bringing us here together. We thank you for allowing us to have this time to refresh, to reset, to rest, to come and to meet you so that we can continue on our day-to-day -day lives. We thank you for giving us this opportunity to come and to hear not only what St. Paul has to say about women, but what you have to say about women, how you esteem them and honor them. We thank you for giving each and every one of us our roles and our functions. We thank you for giving us our place in, in your body, and we thank you that through our baptism, we are able to put you on, and so that we are all equal. We are all, we all have the same honor and the same dignity. We ask you to please help us realize our functions, help us realize our roles, and to use those functions and roles for the glory of your holy name and, and to do your holy work. We ask all these things through the intercession of St. Mary, the mother of God, St. Mark, the beholder of God, St. Moses, the strong, and all your saints. Hear us as we pray together. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom and the power. Before you go, we have a high school parents meeting in the